السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respected listeners, we continue with the commentary of a very long hadith from Sahih al-Bukhari about the family of the Prophet Ibrahim السلام, and the hijrah to Mecca and eventual settlement there. Last week I started the hadith but most of the lesson was taken up with an introduction about the Prophet Ibrahim and his family and some of the events leading up to this hadith. I was mentioning about the journey of the Prophet Ibrahim to Egypt with his wife Sarah who was actually his first cousin and they were still a childless couple. She was a very beautiful woman, and in Egypt at that time, the pharaoh was a tyrant and very corrupt of character. Ibrahim salam feared for his own safety and for that of his wife. And so he told her that if you are, when, if you are summoned then don't tell them that you are my wife, rather tell them you are my sister. I've explained the details and the reason last week. She was summoned. He eventually, it was a great trial for both the Prophet Ibrahim and his wife because they were separated. She was summoned and brought to the royal court. He had evil intentions, but she remained engaged in salah and in prayer, the prayer that was their custom at the time and the Prophet Ibrahim salam at a distance also remained engaged in prayer. So both husband and wife at a distance from each other for their own protection continued with prayer and patience. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through their prayers and their dua Allah delivered her from safety and Allah also ensured the safety of the Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam. I explained the whole story in detail last week, I won't repeat myself. But <clears throat> and indeed as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Wasta'inu bis sabri was salah. Inna Allah ma'as sabirin that seek aid 
through prayer and patience. Verily, Allah is with those who are patient. The tyrant king gave Sarah radiallahu anha a handmaiden, a maid, and she was actually from the royal household herself, Hajar radiallahu anha. She was actually a royal family member. So she gave, he gave her as a handmaiden to Sarah radiallahu anha. And when she came to Ibrahim alayhi salam, she informed him of what had happened. And then the family departed from Egypt and returned to Canaan. Although Sarah, Ibrahim alayhi salam, had been promised a child, and the glad tidings had been given to Sarah radiallahu anha as well, much, much later, Still many years passed and she remained childless, she was barren. So eventually she herself offered to Ibrahim alayhi salam that he should take her handmaiden Hajar radiallahu anha as his wife in the hope that Allah may bless him with children through her. So Ibrahim alayhi salam did so and again upon the command of Allah. Hajar radiallahu anha did conceive and as soon as she conceived, problems arose between the between Sarah and Hajar, and there was great tension and conflict in the household. A lot happened. Eventually, Allah Azza wa Jal, in the 86th, according to one narration, 80th, and according to another narration, 86th year of his life, Allah blessed the Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam with his first son who was named Ismail. There's a great lesson in there. Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam, as I mentioned last week, why does he hold such an important position in Islamic scripture and in the life of any Muslim? One of the greatest reasons is that he sets an example and he was the supreme precedent for the Muslims in Islam, in submission. Allah says of him, وَإِذْ ابْتَلَىٰ إِبْرَاهِيمَ رَبُّهُ بِكَلِمَاتٍ فَأَتَمَّهُمْ قَالَ إِنِّي جَاعِلُكَ لِلنَّاسِ إِمَامًا And when Ibrahim was tested by his Lord with a number of tests, فَأَتَمَّهُمْ so he fulfilled them, i.e. he passed all of them. So in response, Allah told him, إِنِّي I will make you an imam and a leader of mankind. And that's how he did become a leader. He's regarded as the patriarch of the Abrahamic religions, the first and the grand patriarch. He's regarded as the father of the monotheistic religions. And that's universally. But within Islam, the Prophet ﷺ honored Ibrahim ﷺ in many ways. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala honored the Prophet Ibrahim ﷺ in many ways. And in fact, speaking of his appearance, once Prophet ﷺ was addressing the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, and he was explaining who resembled the Prophet ﷺ. So the Prophet Musa, the Prophet Isa, even Jibreel. 
So the companions asked him, O Prophet of Allah, who amongst us best resembles Ibrahim alayhi salam? And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, your companion, meaning himself. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam of all the people resembled the Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam more than anyone else in appearance, in complexion and features. And after all, he was of his children. Ibrahim alayhi salam was his great-grandfather, his great-ancestor. And the Prophet's coming, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, itself was a result of the Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam's dua and his prayer. So Ibrahim alayhi salam's whole life was one of sacrifice and submission and patience. And this shows even in his prayer for children and Allah blessing him with children at such an advanced age. Undoubtedly, he, he married at a very, very early date. In fact, he married, he married in Ul before he left Iraq, and ancient, uh, before he left ancient Iraq, Mesopotamia. So that was in his earliest days. And he traveled from Iraq to Haram, and from Haram to Qan'an. Haram is actually in modern day Turkey. So from Iraq to Turkey, from Turkey to Philistine, from Philistine to Egypt. And in each place he spent quite a bit of time. And for not just a few years, but for decades, for scores of years, the Prophet Ibrahim and his wife, السلام, prayed to Allah for a child. And he was a prophet of Allah. And he, Allah did not give him, Allah did not bless him with a child. Allah did not answer his prayer as far as the manifestation of the acceptance of the prayer was concerned. And yet, Ibrahim salam continued to pray and supplicate to Allah with patience, without ever becoming frustrated, hopeless, without ever despairing, until the 86th year of his life. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed him with a child. Only for him then to tell him that take your child and the mother and travel with them to Mecca. Every father would want to spend time with his children and with his firstborn for whom he has waited scores of years, not just decades, but scores of years. And not long after birth, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells him, take your child, infant child, away from the land of Philistine, away from settled inhabitation, away from greenery and water and abundance into the barren valley of Mecca. Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam immediately submitted to the command of Allah. And he took Ummuna Hajar and his infant child Ismail to Mecca. And also, prior to this, like I said, there was great tension and conflict between Sarah and Hajar. And this is where the hadith begins. So that's the background, and let's begin the hadith. وبالإسناد المتصل مني إلى الإمام البخاري رحمه الله قال حدثني عبد الله بن محمد قال حدثنا عبد الرزاق 
قال أخبرنا معمر عن أيوب السختياني وكثير بن كثير بن كثير بن المطلب ابن أبي وداع يزيد أحدهما على الآخر عن سعيد بن جبير قال ابن عباس رضي الله عنهما I relate with a continuous and uninterrupted chain from me till Imam Bukhari rahimahullahu says Abdullah ibn Muhammad related to me that Abdul Razak related to us that Ma'mar informed us from Ayyub al-Sakhtiyani and from Kathir ibn Kathir ibn Muttalib ibn Abi Wada'a each of them Adding more than the other. All that simply means, I did say I'd explain later, all that means is that one of the narrators above, Ma'mar, he, he relates this hadith from two of his teachers. From Ayyub al-Sakhtiyani and Kathir ibn Kathir. And both of them had details which the other didn't. So the full hadith is actually a, com- a combined narration from two teachers. Both of them relate from Sa'id ibn Jubair, who relates from Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhuma, who said, Qal ibn Abbasin, awwala matakhadha nisa'ul mintaq, من قبل أم إسماعيل. The first that women adopted the practice of the sash was from the mother of Ismail. The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Here, Abdullah ibn Abbas sallallahu anhuma doesn't say that I heard the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam say, or the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said. He just begins the narrative himself. Rather, he just begins a hadith by saying, However, we have a rule that Sahaba radiallahu anhum would not relate such details unless they are from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Furthermore, he himself says later in the hadith that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said. So undoubtedly, although it's not explicitly mentioned here, these details are coming from, not from Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah, but rather from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and that's why they are included as a hadith in the collection of Imam Bukhari. So, أول ما اتخذ النساء المنطق من قبل أم إسماعيل The first that women adopted Women first adopted the practice of the sash From the mother of Ismail. The sash is the belt or a cloth Worn in a particular manner around the waist And it normally has two ends trailing Either in front or to the side or sometimes to the back. Some time ago I explained in the commentary of another hadith that the sash, the word sash, actually comes from Arabic. So it's an English word. But the original word comes from Arabic, sash. 
And traditionally, it used to refer to not the sash itself, but it used to refer to the imama, a turban. And when it was imported into the European languages, the since the wearing of the turban is not really a custom in Europe. But when this word was imported into the European languages, it began to be used for the imama, but tied around the waist. Because how is an imama, the turban tied? Invariably, in all of the ahadith, you find that the... and in in the narrations, in the ahadith, in the accounts of the Arab scholars and ulama, and in general, from Arab culture and custom, the imama was a turban tied around the head with two trailing ends. And that's exactly how the sash began to be worn in Europe. So it's fastened around the waist, but it's got two trailing ends. So it's actually an imama, a turban worn around the waist. And in English it's called sash, which is a European word originally imported from Arabic. And it meant the imama, not the, not the belt or a cloth tied around the waist as a sash. So mintaq is the word in Arabic, which means, and there are others as well, nitaq, as I explained in the hadith of hijrah, uh, because Asma radiyallahu anha, the elder sister of Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha, one of her labels and nicknames was Dhatun Nitaqin, the lady of the two sashes, because that's exactly what she did. She took from her sash, ripped off a piece of the cloth, and she tied one of the bags for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa and her father, and then another one with, again, a piece of the sash. So she was known as Dhatun Nitaqin. That's when I explained it. So, Nitaq or Mintaq, both of them refer to the belt or the sash around the waist worn by women. So here it says that the first, women first adopted the practice of the sash and the wearing of this cloth belt around the waist from the mother of Ismail, and who was the mother of Ismail, Hajar, the wife of the Prophet Ibrahim. Now the question here is that, surely, does this mean that the custom or the practice of tying a belt or a sash or a cloth around the waist with trailing ends, that was never adopted anywhere else by anyone except from the time of uh, Ismail and his mother Hajar? No, because from another narration, the wording is much more clear. This is a general wording. And in another narration, the wording is much more specific. And it says, the Arabs... So Arab women first adopted the practice of the sash. And remember, it, it doesn't mean any belt. It means a belt with a trailing end or a cloth with a trailing end, the sash. So women, fir- women meaning Arab women, first adopted the wearing of the sash from the mother of Ismail, alayhi salam. And when did she do it? The hadith mentions that. اتخذت من تقن لتعفي أثرها على سارة 
she wore, she took the sash, or she made the sash, in order to conceal her traces from Sarah. Meaning, because of that conflict and tension between the two wives of the Prophet Ibrahim when she conceived, even though she was the one who had presented her to the Prophet Ibrahim when she conceived, tension arose between the two, as a result of which Sarah threatened to harm Hajar. And Hajar, out of fear of Sarah, she fled. And when she fled from their settlement, in order to conceal her traces, she wore the sash and dragged the end behind her in order to conceal her footsteps and her traces so that Sarah would not be able to follow her. That's the meaning of the hadith. اتخذت من تقن لتعفي أثرها على سارة. She adopted the sash in order to conceal her traces from سارة. Then after that, what happened? ثم جاء بها إبراهيم وبابنها إسماعيل وهي ترضع. Then Ibrahim alayhi salam brought her and her son Ismail وهي ترضع while she was still suckling him حتى وضعهما until he placed them by the house, i.e. the house of Allah, by a large tree, a very large tree above Zamzam, in the upper part of the masjid, in the upper part of the masjid. And there was no one at that time in Mecca. Now before I continue, the meaning of the hadith that he placed them by a large tree, that's true, he placed them under a large tree. But it says here, by the house of Allah, over the well of Zimzim, in the upper part of Mecca. Abdullah ibn Abbas when he's relating this hadith this is how the people understood it because they could reference it however it doesn't mean that any of these features apart from the tree were in existence at the time of Ibrahim obviously there was no well of Zimzim there there was no house of Allah there there was no Kaaba there and Mecca was not known but the la- there was a large tree and he placed them under the large tree where in the exact location where today there is the well of Zimzim. Right by the well of Zimzim. Close to the house of Allah as it stands today. Now, inshallah, later on in the hadith I will be explaining the history of the Kaaba. One. I'll also explain a bit more about the history of Zimzim and the virtues of Zimzim. But this is the meaning. So he placed them by the house, which wasn't in existence, at near a, under a very large tree, over the well of Zimzum, in the upper part of Mecca, in the upper part of the masjid. And there wasn't anyone in Mecca 
at that time. And neither was there any water in Makkah. فَوَضَعْهُمَا هُنَالِكْ So he placed both of them there. وَوَضَعْ عِنْدَهُمَا جِرَابًا فِيهِ تَمْرٍ And he placed by them a leather bag in which there were dates. وَسِقَاءً فِيهِ مَا And a water skin in which there was water. ثُمَّ قَفَّى إِبْرَاهِيمُ مُنْطَلِقًا Then Ibrahim alayhi salam turned back. Walking away. Subhanallah. What that means is the Prophet Ibrahim salam took Hajar radiallahu anha and his son Ismail salam, an infant child, took them all the way from Qan'an in Philistine to Makkah al-Mukarramah across the desert. And there in the barren valley of Makkah where there was not a blade of grass no vegetation, not a drop of water, no bird in the air, no insect or animal on the land that was visible. Ibrahim, no sign of life in the baking heat of Makkah al-Mukarramah. The Prophet Ibrahim salam left and settled his wife and his son. And all he left with them as provisions was a bag of dates and a water skin filled with water. And having done so, fulfilling the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the letter, Ibrahim alayhi salam turned around and left. This is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has honored him. The ultimate sacrifice. فَتَبِعَتْهُ أُمُّ إِسْمَعِيلُ so the mother of Ismail alayhi salam pursued him. فقالت, and she said, Ya Ibrahim, O Ibrahim, Aina Tadhab, where do you go? Watatrukuna bihadal wadi. And you whilst leaving us in this valley, Alladhi laysa fihi insun wala shay, wherein there is no human or anything. فَقَالَتْ لَهُ ذَلِكَ مِرَارًا He didn't answer her. So she said this to him a few times. And we learn from another narration that she said it three times. Oh Ibrahim, where are you going and leaving us in this valley wherein there is no one or nothing? He didn't reply. She repeated it. He didn't reply. She repeated it for the third time. And only then did he reply. So the narration says, فَقَالَتْ لَهُ ذَلِكَ مِرَارًا So she said this to him a few times, وَجَعَلَ لَا يَلْتَفِتُ إِلَيْهَا And he would not even turn around to her. Not, a, not just refuse to answer her, but he would not even look at her. فَقَالَتْ لَهُ Why? The Sahaba radiyallahu anhum when the Prophet ﷺ commanded them to do something, even though they didn't have to, many of them would act on the command of Rasulullah ﷺ to the letter. An example. One of the Sahaba, عنهم, 
he requested something. He asked for something. He asked for wealth and help. So the Prophet ﷺ gave him and told him, don't repeat this. I don't ask anyone for anything. The meaning was, don't beg. Don't extend your hand in asking for wealth or aid and assistance. Monetary aid. That Sahabi radiyallahu an, because the Prophet said that to him for the rest of his life, he wouldn't ask anyone for anything, not just wealth, not just not even favors, but even for the simplest of things, to the extent that if he was riding and his riding crop fell from his hand, it's difficult for a person to dismount for a camp from a camel or a horse and dismount and pick up the rod or the crop. And mounts the animal again. But because the Prophet ﷺ, normally the practice is, in fact we do it, we, someone who bends faster than the other, they normally pick up something and give it to someone. And the person, b- b- before they can bend and incline and c- pick up something, retrieve it, someone else has done it for them. And sometimes we even say to someone, can you pick that up for me? Even though we are standing on the ground and so are they. Maybe they are closer or already more inclined to the ground. But when people are riding, rarely do people dismount and pick something up and then climb back on the horse again. But this Sahabi radiallahu anhu, because the Prophet sallallahu said, do not ask anyone. He meant don't beg of anyone. But they acted on the words of the Messenger sallallahu faithfully to the letter. Though they were under no obligation to do so. So this Sahabi, when he used to ride, and his riding crop fell from his hand, even though people were passing by, and many would have rushed to fulfill his wish, since he was a companion, and a, mess, a companion of Rasulullah wasallam. no, he would refuse to do so. He would dismount, pick up the crop, and with great trouble, even in old age, climb the horse again. And his explanation would be, that ever since the Prophet ﷺ said, do not ask anyone for anything, I refuse to ask anyone for anything. So this is just one example. If the companions acted on the letter of the instruction of Rasulullah ﷺ, out of their love and devotion to him, and their submission to his command, then what can be said of the messengers and the prophets of Allah in acting upon the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the letter? And that's exactly what Ibrahim was doing. No wavering. No reservation. As Allah says. Describing those who give in charity. With firmness of their souls. What does that mean? It means that they give in the way of Allah. And they give in such a way that no matter, sometimes we give even in charity, buyer's remorse. So they don't suffer from buyer's remorse, and this is charity, they don't suffer from donor's remorse. So someone gives in the way of Allah and then later feels, should I have given it? Should I have given less? Did I do the right thing? Should I have given so much? But no, they give in such a way that the left hand does not know what the right hand has spent. 
They give it with conviction and with firmness of their souls. Never any wavering, never any reservation, never any doubt, never any remorse. No donor's remorse. So this is the way that Anbiya, more than anyone else, acted on the commandment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I'm not saying this is for us. I'm just explaining why and how Ibrahim alayhi salam did what he did. So, His own wife is pleading with him. And yet he does not even turn around to her. And he would not turn around to her. She then said to him, Three times she pleaded with him. He didn't reply, he didn't even turn around. Then, on the fourth occasion, she finally said, Is it Allah who has commanded you to do this? He said, yes. And in one narration, who commanded you to do this? So he said, Allah. Her reply, subhanAllah. It wasn't just the sacrifice and the conviction and the faith of the Prophet Ibrahim It was also the sacrifice and the submission and the faith of the whole family, including Hajar. Her reply, إِذَنْ لَا يُضَيِّعْنَا Then he shall never allow us to perish. ثُمَّ رَجَعَتْ Then she turned around herself and returned to Ismail or she returned, maybe with Ismail. فَانْطَلَقَ Ibrahim. So Ibrahim salam continued. حَتَّى إِذَا كَانَ عِنْدَ الثَّنِيَّةِ Until when he was by the pass. The meaning of the pass is when on the edge of the valley of Mecca there's a mountain pass. And that's actually where the Prophet ﷺ used to enter from. So Ibrahim ﷺ, when he reached the edge of the valley by the mountain pass, as it is now, or as it was then at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, until when he was by the mountain pass, such that they could not see him, meaning Hajar and Ismail ﷺ could not see him. So he deliberately continued traveling, not walking, but riding, until he reached the end of the valley. And then when he was assured that they could not see him, then he turned around. And having turned around, he faced the house of Allah, i.e. the spot where the house of Allah would become. Then he prayed to Allah, he supplicated with the following words and prayers. And he raised his hands. فقال, then he said. Then he read the... Well, he, he made the dua which Allah quotes in the Qur'an. رَبَّنَا إِنِّي أَسْكَنْتُ مِنْ ذُرِّيَّةِ بِوَادٍ غَيْرِ ذِي زَرْعٍ عِنْدَ بَيْتِكَ الْمُحَرَّمِ رَبَّنَا لِيُقِيمُ الصَّلَاةِ فَاجْعَلْ أَفْئِدَةً مِنَ النَّاسِ تَهْوِي إِلَيْهِمْ وَارْزُقْهُمْ مِنَ الثَّمَرَاتِ لَعَلَّهُمْ يَشْكُرُونَ until he reached the edge of the valley by the mountain pass, such that they could not see him. Then he turned facing the, the house of Allah. And then, raising his hands, he supplicated to Allah with the following words. And then, we have the verse of the Qur'an, which I have just recited. O oh, our Lord, verily, 
I have settled of my family, members of my family, in a valley without any vegetation, without any cultivation, by your sacred house. Why? Subhanallah. Why did Ibrahim alayhi salam do this? He did hijrah. He made his infant child do hijrah. He made his wife do hijrah. He split up his family. By the command of Allah, he led his wife and child away and settled them in a remote location, far away from his normal residence, where he would not be able to see them regularly, or as much as he would want to. Why? He himself mentions why, the reason in his dua. رَبَّنَا لِيُقِيمُ الصَّلَاةِ O our Lord, so that they may establish salah. This whole journey, this whole sacrifice and submission, was for the sake of religion. Was for the sake of salah. He did all of this so that they could establish salah. As a result, he said, O oh my Lord, فَجْعَلْ أَفْئِذَةً مِّنَ النَّاسِ تَهْوِي O our Lord, cause the hearts of people to flutter towards them in love and in inclination. وَرْزُقْهُمْ مِّنَ الثَّمَرَاتِ And bless them with fruits. Provide for them fruit, of fruits. لَعَلَّهُمْ يَشْكُرُونَ In the hope that they may be grateful. There are so many lessons to be learned from just this one dua of Ibrahim alayhi salam and one verse of the Holy Quran. Ibrahim alayhi salam did all of this for the sake of deen, for the sake of salah. One lesson for us to learn and to draw from here is, as I explained in the first talk after Ramadan, we all have to make sacrifices. Life is not easy. Life is not Jannah on earth. Life is difficult. Allah says in the Quran, Ya ayyuhal insan, innaka kadihun ila rabbika kadhan fumulaqi. O man, you will toil a toiling towards your Lord, then you shall meet. Life is a struggle. From birth, we, we are born, not miraculously, of course, birth is a miracle in itself, but we are born in struggle, in pain. The, the baby enters the world in pain. The mother delivers the baby in pain. Man leaves the world in pain. We have all entered the world in pain. We shall leave the world in pain. And in between these pains, there is a lot of other pain. It's a struggle. Allah says, You shall mount, or you shall ascend, you shall climb. Grade after grade. Meaning, life is a struggle. You will climb and struggle and clamber from one thing to the other, to the other, to the next, to the next. Until... 
we expire our life and move on to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Life is a struggle. But we all have to make sacrifices. And we do it. We go hungry. We go thirsty. We sacrifice our food, our drink, our rest, our sleep, our leisure, our pleasure. We sacrifice wealth. We spend wealth. We sacrifice our time. We even make sacrifices as far as the family is concerned. People regularly, maybe not us so much in this country, but others. People regularly leave behind their wives and their children and they travel to other countries for work. Sometimes for a meager pay. And they depart for six months, a year, two years. And that's quite common. So we even make all of these sacrifices. But we only do so for the sake of dunya, not deen. And the lesson of religion, the lesson in all of this is, that why not make your sacrifice for something worthwhile? إِن تَكُونُوا تَعْلَمُونَ فَإِنَّهُمْ يَعْلَمُونَ كَمَا تَعْلَمُونَ وَتَرْجُونَ مِنَ اللَّهِ مَا لَا يَرْجُونَ Allah says in a verse of the Qur'an, it's a different context, but the lesson is the same, that if you are suffering, in fact, if you are in pain, then verily they are also in pain. Just as you are in pain and in suffering. But... You hope for that from Allah which they do not hope for. There's a difference. So Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam made this sacrifice for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for the sake of establishing salah. The other thing in this verse, فَجَعَلْ أَفْئِذَةٍ مِّنَ النَّاسِ تَهْوِي إِلَيْهِمْ He prayed that, O oh Allah, cause the hearts of the people, to flutter towards them in love and in inclination. And without doubt, Mecca, the city of Mecca is such, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, of Mecca, مَثَابَةً لِلنَّاسِ وَأَمْنَا That Allah has made the house of Allah and the vicinity of Mecca, مَثَابَةً for the people. And the meaning of مَثَابَةً is, the meaning of mathabah is a place of oft return. I.e. when a person goes to Mecca and they come back, they leave their hearts behind. They want to go back. And people go again and again to Mecca, never tiring of that journey. That's the meaning of mathabah. And that's again an answer to the prayer of Ibrahim alayhi salam, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has caused the hearts of believers all over the world, to flutter to Mecca and the people of Mecca in love and in inclination. And the third thing, he said, provide for them of fruits, لَعَلَّهُمْ يَشْكُرُونَ in the hope that they may be grateful. Imagine, when Ibrahim was making this dua, there was not a drop of water, not a blade of grass, or a single piece of fruit, produce or vegetation. Nothing. And he's praying to Allah that, oh Allah, feed them, provide them, sustain them with fruits in the hope that they may be grateful. In answer of the dua of Ibrahim alayhi salam, why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept his dua? Allah accepted his duas because of his sacrifice and his submission and his faith in Allah. 
And how is that dua accepted and fulfilled? Allahu Akbar. Makkatul Mukarramah has always been a miracle in every sense of the word. And one wonders how people ended up residing there. Not too far from Makkah, about 40 miles from Makkah, you have, you have Ta'if. And 40 miles, in fact, if you, if you look at the map, there's almost, I'm not saying it is exact, but there's almost a straight line from Jidda to Mecca to Ta'if. There's a, it runs diagonally. So you have Mecca in the center, to the north-west-west you have Jidda, the port city of Jidda. And to the north-east-east you have the city of Ta'if. Now, Jidda is a coastal town, just 40 miles. 40 miles that, in that direction is Jiddah, 40 miles in this direction is Taif. People could have end, people did reside in Jiddah. In support city, you have the ocean, you have all the facilities of the seashore and life there. And in the city of Taif, 40 miles to southeast east, you have the city of Taif, which is high up in the mountains, not in the mountains, but in a hilly region. There, because of the hilly mountainous region, there's a lot of rainfall, and the area is lush and green. In fact, at times, the temperature never rises above 25, 26. And in fact, it's so beautiful and lush, and it always was, even in those days, that you have orchards, you have dairy animals, you have dairy produce. In the heat... of that region, but life is so cool, you have grapes. And it's a perfect Mediterranean-like climate. And it's surprising that in between these two areas, the beautiful region of life, where there's lots of vegetation, lots of produce, fruits, orchards, good rainfall, cool climate, moderate climate and you have the coastal city of Jidda, right in between, in a barren valley of Mecca, you have this huge, bustling city. Why did people take up residence there and live there anyway? Why do they choose to live there? So, Mecca's always been a miracle. Nothing grows there. Nothing ever used to grow there. And not just now, with modern facilities, but even many, many centuries before, things would have to be transported on camelback and on carriage all across the Arabia. But in Makkatul Mukarramah, they would find fruits from all over the world in every season. And this is an answer to the dua of Sayyidina Ibrahim. It's true now, it was true then, it was true at the time of Rasulullah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that in the Quran, speaking to about the Quraysh. Allah says, أَوَلَمْ نُمَكِّلْ لَهُمْ حَرَمًا آمِنًا يُجْبَى إِلَيْهِ ثَمَرَاتُ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ رِزْقًا مِنْ لَدُنَّا That have, have we not given them place, given them a place in the haram, in the sanctuary of Allah, which is secure, to which fruits of all things are dragged to them as a gift from us. In Surah Quraysh, 
لإلاف قريش إلافهم رحلة الشتاء والصيف فليعبدوا رب هذا البيت Let them worship the Lord of this house. This is a direct command to the Quraysh, the pagans. Allah reminds them of his favors to them. And what does he say? الَّذِي أَطْعَمَهُمْ مِنْ وَآمَنَهُمْ مِنْ خَوْفِ He, that Allah, who fed them and delivered them from hunger, and delivered them from fear, and gave them security. In another verse, وَضَرَبَ اللَّهُ مَثَلًا قَرْيَةً كَانَتْ آمِنَةً مُطْمَئِنَّةً يَأْتِيهَا رِزْقُهَا رَغَدًا مِنْ كُلِّ مَكَانٍ And Allah strikes the parable of a city which was secure and content. يَأْتِيهَا And he's speaking about Makkah al-Mukarramah. يَأْتِيهَا رِزْقُهَا رَغَدًا مِنْ كُلِّ مَكَانٍ Its sustenance, its provisions come to the city comfortably from all places. That's true, that was true of Makkah in the 6th century, in the 7th century, and it's true of Makkah today. And all of this is the answer to the dua of Sayyidina Ibrahim salam. So, he says that he then prayed to Allah, and this is the dua that he made, O our Lord, I, indeed I have settled of my family, members of my family, in a valley, void of vegetation, any vegetation, Close to your sacred house. O our Lord, so that they may establish salah. Therefore, cause the hearts of the people to flutter to them in love and in inclination. And provide for them of fruits in the hope that they may be grateful. What then happened? Ibrahim salam departed from Makkah al-Mukarramah and headed back to Qan'an, leaving only Ummuna Hajar radiyallahu anha with her infant son in the barren valley of Makkah, all alone. Such trust, such faith. وَجَعَلَتْ أُمُّ إِسْمَعِيلُ تُرْضِعُ إِسْمَعِيلُ And the mother of Ismail began breastfeeding, suckling Ismail. وَتَشْرَبُ مِنْ ذَلِكَ الْمَاءِ And she would continue to drink from that water, meaning in the water skin. حَتَّى إِذَا نَفِدَ مَا فِي السِّقَاءِ Until when the water that was in the water skin expired, عَتِشَتْ She became thirsty. وَعَتِشَ بْنُهَا And her son became thirsty. وَجَعَلَتْ تَنْظُرْ وَجَعَلَتْ تَنْظُرُ إِلَيْهِ And she began looking at him, at her own infant child. يَتَلَوَّى Twisting. أو قال يتلبط or he said this is the narrator is unsure which of the two words were used يتلوى she saw him twisting أو قال or he said يتلبط or falling meaning on the ground so twisting or falling on the ground out of thirst and in pain فانطلقت so she walked away from her son why كراهية أن تنظر إلي أن تنظر إلي being unable to look at him in this state. So she actually walked away from her son. Out of dislike of seeing him in this condition. So she found the hillock of Safa, the closest hill on the land to her. فقامت عليه so she climbed up it and stood on it ثم استقبلت الوادي then she turned facing the valley تنظر 
searching, looking. Can she see anyone? But she never she did not see anyone. So she descended from the hillock of Safa. Obviously at the time this was just a hill which later came to be identified as Safa. And it's mentioned in another narration that when she descended from the hill of Safa, she was praying and pleading to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Until when she reached the valley below, she raised the corner of her gown, or she raised the edge of her gown. Why? So that she would not trip whilst running, because she was running. In her desperation to search for water, she was actually running. Then she ran. The running of an overexerted person. So she ran like a desperate person, desperately looking for something. So she raced, she ran. Until she crossed the valley. She then came to the hillock of Marwa. فقامت عليها she climbed up it and stood on it ونظرت هل ترى أحدا and she looked could she see anyone فلم ترى أحدا but she did not see anyone ففعلت ذلك سبع مرات so she did this seven times قال ابن عباس ابن عباس رضي الله عنهما says قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said this is the reference see قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said فذلك سعي الناس بينهما so this is the sa'i the running of people between the two hillocks of Safa and Marwa as part of Umrah and Hajj one of the rites is sa'i Arabic words are difficult to pronounce so you have to have the sukum on the middle letter. So it's dhuhr, not dhuhr. Fajr, not fajr. It's asr, not asr. And it's sa'i. So sa'i, this is the, this is, sa'i just simply means running. But it refers, this is part of our ritual for umrah and for hajj, where after the tawaf, a person runs between the two hillocks of Safa and Marwa. And especially in the dip of the valley where there's no longer a dip, but in the belly of the valley, now that's marked by green lights and it used to be marked by green flags. So there it's sunnah for men to run. So this is that sa'i. So the whole sa'i, imagine, one of the greatest acts of worship and the pillars of Islam, Hajj. The symbolic running between Safa and Marwa seven times, this is actually a commemoration of the desperate search of a mother for water for her child. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loved this deed of hers with her supplications and her dua. And the sacrifice of Hajr and the sacrifice of her husband Ibrahim alayhi salam and the son that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inaugurated it as a rite to be performed 
as the part of the pilgrimage till Yawm So this is the Sa'i between the two hills of Safa and Marwa, which we all perform. We can continue, but I'll stop here, inshallah. We'll continue with the remaining, uh, the remainder of the hadith next week. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enables us to understand. Wasallallahu wa sallam ala abdihi wa rasulih nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahum wa bihamdik nashadu an la ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk. This lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riyadhul Haq and has been brought to you by Alkotha Productions. For additional lectures and products, please visit www.akstore.com. We can also be contacted by phone on 0044-121-771-3777 or by email via sales at akstore.com. Produced under license by Alkotha Productions, all rights reserved for Alkotha Productions and the author. Any unauthorized distribution, broadcasting or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.